Hello and welcome to another episode of the African Five-A-Side podcast. Uh, today we are going to be recapping uh, the round of 16 matches uh, of the African Cup of Nations, 2023 African Cup of Nations, between Nigeria and Cameroon and between Angola and Namibia. Uh, Nigeria and Cameroon was the match of the day, so that's the one I'm going to be starting with. Um, and both of these sides set up in a similar tactical system as their previous match. Uh, Nigeria came in with their 5-2-3. Uh, and I think they stuck to the system really to counter a lot of Cameroon's crossing. We've mentioned time and time again that Cameroon was a side that crossed the ball the most in this tournament, that all of their goals came from either crosses or set pieces. And so it wasn't exactly a surprise, in my opinion, uh, that Nigeria decided to play in the system, uh, put as many center halves as they could, um, try and neutralize uh, any threat from the wing. Cameroon stuck with a 3-4-3 that they used versus the Gambia. That tended to work too, again, because of all that crossing. Um, and, and so... During the preview, we mentioned that we thought that Cameroon might have more of the ball, that it might be more sterile possession, more horizontal possession, um, and that they would try to be using those crosses, whereas Nigeria would be much more vertical and would attack the transitions uh, at a much higher pace. Tactically, I thought that Nigeria looked sharper. I really like how, when in possession of the ball, the fullbacks, uh, Ola Aina and Zaidu Senusi, pushed up and occupied the Cameroonian fullbacks. Um, Lukman and Simon, Moses Simon and, and Adamola Lukman, although they technically are wide forwards, they were staying very narrow, staying closer to Osimhen, trying to find little half spaces in between the lines where they could uh, either receive the ball on a half turn or combine with Victor Osimhen. Um, Cameroon, however, looked static in their 3-4-3 shape. There wasn't too much uh, manipulation of their shape. Um, I think it was very easy for Nigeria to, to mark that shape. Uh, and yeah, it just looked very static, very stale, and very boring. So in such a, a matchup where you have you know stalemates, or when you because Cameroon did have more of the ball in the first half and had more of the ball throughout the match, and, and though Nigeria were threatening a bit through their counterattacks, um, you'd really thought that this match might go into extra time. That's what I thought prior to the match. But you also know that, you know, it's cliche, but these big games, it comes down to the little details at times. And Cameroon just made too many mistakes. Um, just in the opening 10 minutes, concede a very, very stupid corner kick. I think it was Nuu Tolo who just clears the ball out for absolutely no reason. And Fabrice Ondoa, Cameroon's second goalkeeper, remember after Victor, uh, sorry, after Andre Onana was benched uh, after he made no save and, and conceded three goals against Senegal. Um, he was very clumsy all day, but in the opening 10 minutes, clumsy with the punches that came from the corner kick that was conceded stupidly. And, and Nigeria managed to score a goal, I think it was Shemi Ajayi, um, although it was ruled off for offside. It's just a quick warning shot, and it was very, very close, uh, but Nigeria had that goal ruled out. A few minutes later, uh, Cameroon again make a very stupid mistake, and this time it's Umar Gonzalez, their center half, caught in possession, and Victor Usman dispossesses him sort of drags him for a few yards, gets his head up, finds Adamola Lukman, who's making a run to his right, feeds Lukman, and Lukman slots the ball under Ondoa. 1-0 uh, for the Super Eagles. There's just something I want to touch on with Victor Osimhen, because watching him in the flesh, I do think is different to watching him on TV, because you see so much more of his movement, first of all, um, how he's all over the pitch, uh, chasing after every lost cause and making it you know, sometimes a semi-decent opportunity. And you also see his charisma and his leadership of how he talks to his players or how he sort of uh, galvanizes the supporters. You can really see that he is 
the leader of this Nigerian team, alongside players like Truste Kong and, and others, but he's a vocal leader and, and his energy, it's different when you watch him in person. And I remember interviewing Yunus Kabul, uh, the former Watford defender, Tottenham defender in 2017, and I asked him, you know, like what was, who was the most difficult striker he had to defend and why? He told me it was Robin Van Persie. And I asked why, and he said, Robin Van Persie, he almost lulled you to sleep and you thought you knew where he was and you thought you knew what he was doing. And then in a split second, he'll make a run or he'll do a little movement and he'll create just a half yard of space or a yard of space. And he was so technically good that that yard of space was enough for him to score a goal or to make you look dumb. So he said, I always had to concentrate for every single second of the time I was marking Robin Van Persie. I think it's similar to Victor Osimhen, not because of you know his technique. He's not on the same technical level as a Robin Van Persie. He's not as much, maybe as lethal of, of a finisher, but it's just because of his energy and because he chases everything and he never thinks anything is a lost cause. So Umar Gonzalez turned his back to him and he probably thought, you know, I have a second or two to make the back pass to his goalkeeper Fabrice Ondoa, but he didn't. Victor Osimhen just nipped at his heels, stole the ball, and, and, and he did that maybe four or five times during this match. So he is a player that you, you cannot rely on uh, your perception of how far he is. You know, it's like the, it's almost like the rear view mirror in a car where it says this object is closer than it appears. That's what it's like, I think, uh, sometimes when Victor Osimhen is chasing you down. So, uh, and you could also see, you know, in the stadium today, the star factor of Osimhen. On several occasions, the entire stadium just chanting his name, Osimhen, Osimhen, Osimhen. Uh, neutrals, especially Ivorians, sometimes leading this chant. He is absolutely the best player on the African continent. He absolutely deserved that he was named that at the CAF Awards. And his star value is a real thing uh, here at the African Cup of Nations. Anyways, the second half was very much of the same. Um, Nigeria threatening vertically, Cameroon not threatening and horizontal. Um, I thought it was shocking that Rigobert Song waited until the 75th minute to make a change. Uh, you know, in the press box, the journalists were getting antsy. The players that were warming up behind the goal were getting antsy. Uh, everybody was expecting a change that would come much, much, much sooner, uh, and it didn't. So Vincent Abubakar is the obvious change. I understand he's coming back from injury, but sometimes a half-injured Abubakar would be better than, you know, a Frank Magri who's on his last legs. And if it's not going to be Abubakar, why not somebody like Faris Mumbanya, who just signed to Olympique de Marseille? Again, just giving him, replacing Frank Magri with him, just to renew the energy levels, you know, because he, he would have fresh legs and he would be able to provide maybe a little bit of a spark that Magri couldn't. So Rigobert Song waited to make the change. Um, and to be fair to Song, I didn't understand waiting to make the change as a striker, but the wingers, the wingers, he didn't really have too many options. When I looked at the team sheet, there was only really Clinton and G that he could have brought on on the wing and he's also coming back from injury. Otherwise, you have players like the 17-year-old kid, Duala, and, uh, wow, it's loud in this press room, excuse me. But you have players like Duala, and uh, he, he didn't get a chance, and the three or four players that Rigobert Song did call up that play in the domestic league in Cameroon, they also didn't get a single minute uh, at this African Cup of Nations. That's the second time that Rigobert Song calls up players at the African Cup, of, or sorry, second time that Cameroon calls up players uh, in the domestic league at the African Cup of Nations and they don't get a single minute. Overall though, four shots on target for Nigeria, zero shots on target for Cameroon. Cameroon only with one corner kick and 0.26 XG. 
Uh, I was asking colleagues over here, who do you think was Cameroon's best player? And I think the consensus was Christopher Wu, but even he was only half decent, semi-decent. Uh, maybe Jean-Charles Castelletto too. But anybody that had any attacking responsibility was mostly invisible. And Cameroon whimper out of this tournament. And I think it's not a surprise to anybody. Um, they were, I think, a little bit lucky to get past the Gambia in the final match of the group stages. So... Looks like there's going to be wholesale changes now for Cameroon. Um, I do think Rigobert Sang is going to be, uh, in French they, they say it nicely, they say remercier. He's going to be thanked for his services. Um, Sebastian Mini is probably going to go with him. And now Samuel Eto'o is starting to come under a little bit of pressure. You know, when Two years ago when he came into this job, there was a lot of hope for him. And he had a lot of things to say about how he's going to revolutionize Cameroonian football. But two years on, all of his reforms at the domestic league level have not really been implemented. People see that it's much of the same. There are rumors that he came and wanted to be the Cameroonian FA president because he was having financial troubles. Um, and now he's got his first appointment at the head coach wrong. So I think Eto's going to have to make uh, an important decision here. He's going to have to make the right decision. But even when I look at the Cameroonian squad, I'm not sure that it's going to be a great squad in the upcoming three to five years. It seems to be an aging generation of players, players like Carl Toko Ekambi or, or Vincent Abubakar, players like even Zembo Angisa. You know, they're probably closer to the end of their primes than, than the beginning of their primes. So uh, I think it's going to be tough sailing ahead for the Indomitable Lions. For Nigeria, however, coming into this tournament, we didn't have a lot of confidence in them because, you know, they were playing that 4-2-4, 4-4-2, but it was more like a 4-2-4. Very stubborn, Jose Pacero was. Uh, they had that horrible international window prior to this tournament. But come, now that we've been here, we've seen that Pesero, I think, has studied his opponents very well. He's shown to be flexible with his different tactical systems. The team looks very together. The supporters look together. Uh, they look sharp at times. And the, really the only, I think, criticism that we can make of them is that they could probably be a little bit more clinical in front of goal, you know, over the totality of the tournament. But nonetheless, I think they're going to be favoring their chances when they go up against Angola in the quarterfinals uh, on February 2nd here at Stade Félix Oufoué Boigny. So let's talk about Angola, who, who, who won against Namibia 3-0. Full disclosure, I didn't watch all of this match because uh, I was here at the stadium uh, for Nigeria Cameroon a bit early. Um, but I did catch a lot of the first half. And the first thing I would say is that the mistake by Neblu, Angola's goalkeeper, at 17 minutes was a mistake that, you know, a high-level goalkeeper shouldn't make. So I think the obvious retort to that is that he's probably not a high-level goalkeeper. But Bethuel Mizu chips, chips him. Uh, he, he actually nips the ball off of Gaspar and chips him. And Neblu is caught scrambling out of his goal. He handles the ball out of his box, and he's sent off, rightfully so. It's the second time that he handles the ball I believe outside of his box or maybe last time he was very very close to doing so so he's too eager to do that and this is a mistake that you can make I think in the 80th minute or the 85th minute of the match you know when uh, if it's a nil nil or if you're losing one nil you can handle the ball there because you're saving a goal and you know a goal in the latter stages of the match could be a death blow but in the first 17 minutes you're completely handicapping your side so Neblu, I think, will admit that that was a big mistake that he shouldn't have made, and he's going to pay now, and he's going to miss uh, the next match. He's going to be suspended. But prior to the match, we said that Angola were probably going to win by a few goals, and that's because their attacking line is really informed. Gilberto, the, the Chan talent, you know, uh, the best Chan talent at this tournament after Lamine Kamara. Uh, Mabalulu, who has uh, three goals, I believe, now in this tournament. And Jelson Dalla, who has four goals in this tournament now. 
they're all in form. They play complementary football. They understand all, one another. They have great chemistry, and that was really displayed in Angola's first goal when Gilberto dribbles in, uh, and Freddie, who Angola's captain, who's been absolutely incredible in this tournament as well, makes a deep run into the box, and Gilberto anticipates it and plays a perfect pass behind the defenders. Freddie centers into Justin Dalla, and Angola are up 1-0 despite being a man down. And this is where Namibia showed their inexperience because it's okay to go 1-0 because, like I said, Angola's attacking line is very, very talented and it was a, a great constructed team goal. But 40 minutes in, Lubeni Hokongo, 23 years old, gets send, sent off after picking up a second yellow. When you're in Namibia and you're the underdog and you're at a historic stage of the competition that you've never been at before and you're up a man, you have to do everything to make sure that you don't level the advantage. So that picking up that second yellow card was, was a big, 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 big mistake. Angola scored immediately after, too, to, to rub salt in the wounds. Surprisingly, it was Justin Dalla who scored the header off a Freddy free kick. Usually Dalla uh, is the one taking that free kick. Second half was a little more open. You know, there's only 20 men on the pitch. Uh, I thought Angola looked sharper. And when you only have 20 men on the pitch, again, with Angola's quality along the front line, um, they were always the more likely side to score. And this time it's Mabalulu. And I love this goal because he finds the space. But the way he scores this goal, you know, he Thierry Henry opened his body up very well. And with side foot shot the ball, you know, with a perfect uh, spin on it, perfect amount of English. And, you know, this wasn't that. This was, he didn't open up his body. His body almost seemed still square with the goalkeeper. It was more his foot and his knee that opened up. And, and man, just just past the fingertips of the goalkeeper, the way he side-footed it into the, the, the bottom of the corner of the, of the net. And it reminded me more of Samuel Eto'o than Thierry Henry. Samuel Eto'o, you know, in the 2006 Champions League final against Arsenal. Similar, you know, like a, a bad angle, he's square with the goalkeeper, but the way he just opened up his foot instead of his body, uh, I think it was more reminiscent of that with the finish. Uh, finally, uh, in goal are 3-0 winners. They'll take on Nigeria in the quarterfinals, as we said, here in Felicia. And uh, I think it's going to be a great match that we're going to be looking forward to. So... Leave it here. Keep it locked in as we going to be previewing tomorrow's matches. Uh, that podcast will come out tomorrow morning, so keep it locked in. Thanks for listening, and we'll speak to you soon.